Hi there, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Drinkable Globe podcast. My name is Jeff Cialetti, and I'm the author of a book called The Drinkable Globe. I write a lot about booze as well as travel, uh, usually uh, both things at once. And this podcast will be pretty much that kind of format. We'll be talking about booze travel. Usually I have guests uh, often tied to a certain city or region to tell us about their home from a local, non-tourist perspective. They'll give us insight on how not to be a tourist, how to enjoy it, sort of as a local, places to drink, uh, as well as places to eat and whatnot. This first episode features Jeff Allworth, who is the author of the Beer Bible, as well as many other books, uh, and he runs the Beervana blog. He's talking to us from Portland, Oregon, and he's lived there for, I don't know, around three decades, I think. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want to tell you a little about the theme tune uh, that was created by some friends of mine in a band called Chemical Straight Jackets, some really cool old school industrial there. Really hope you like it. You'll be hearing a bit more of that. Uh, and this is really going to be the first part of a two-part Portland miniseries. I have another upcoming episode with a woman by the name of Kate Koo. She runs the Sake Bar Zilla, which is also in Portland. But uh, for now, I hope you enjoy this uh, first episode with my guest, Jeff Allworth. Actually, I was doing taxes today. Oh, exciting. Yeah, I bet you have the same kind of oh, yeah, it's, tax it's, nightmare it's, it's that I do. It sucks. It's a whole <laughs> fucking, you know, independent contractor thing, and yeah, you know how it works. So I am here with Jeff Allworth, who is an author, particularly in the beer world. We're in Portland, and we're going to be talking a bit about Portland. This is going to be one of two parts that I'm doing in Portland. Uh, Jeff has written the books, uh, The Beer Bible, uh the sorry, the brewmasters was it the, the secret to the master secret to the master brew? I, I told myself I was going to remember the name, but I, <laughs> it's the one I always cider made simple. I remember that one. That's that's a good one. That's a that's a very that's a handy title actually. Yeah, and you are you run the blog Birvana and um, uh, anything else you got going on that we should know about anything? What's your next project? What's I just turned in a manuscript that is a biography of Kurt and Rob Widmer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, heard, I remember you telling me about that. Tell me a little about that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting thing. The brewery actually hired me to write it, and um, I wasn't really sure if it was going to be more of a hagiography or more of a, like, a, you know, authorized biography. And, and actually, they were really cool about it, and they really wanted an authentic kind of story. So I wrote, I think, a really straight piece. And it was good enough that Ooligan Press here in Portland decided to publish it. So that just came through. So I'm very excited about that. That was kind of nice. Yeah, they're a brewery, not a publisher. So we weren't really sure what we were going to do with this manuscript. So I was excited that an actual publisher was looking to pick it up. I would like it to have many uh, visual elements Mm. because there's a lot of cool stuff from 35 years of brewing. Oh, yeah, imagine. Yeah, there's there's like early recipes written on notebook paper, which is pretty cool. So so they like they gave you kind of free reign into their archives and stuff like that? To the extent they have them. You know, mm-hmm. craft brewers are really crappy about keeping archives. They mm-hmm. don't really, you know, when you start a brewery, you don't necessarily think you're going to be around for 35 years. Yeah, true. So, yeah, it's a matter of trying to track it all down. The craft beer numbers just came out today. True. Of course, I'm dating this a little bit because I don't know necessarily when this is going to go up. It's going to go up in a couple of weeks, and the numbers won't have changed anyway. So it's like... <laughs> That's right. They come out once a year. So. Once a year. And they do the mid-year, too. But um, So overall growth was 5%, which is the lowest it's been probably in 15 years. But 
at the same time last year i think it was six percent so it's not it was sort of went from like to 12 to eight to six and you know if it kept going in that trajectory it could have gotten way down into the low single digits and even been flat it sort of looks like it might be leveling off in sort of the low single digits like what are your thoughts well also it's the brewers association statistics of their membership based on their definition yeah and i think if you include some of the breweries that they no longer classify like widmer for instance yeah widmer cba i think i think they lost a little ground Mm. but like lagunitas i think did very well yeah Um, the high-end breweries are doing very well uh Blue Moon, I don't know where you consider that. I think they went up a little this year. So there were some of the other breweries that are not considered in there, I think did well in what average consumers consider the craft beer sphere. Yeah, yeah. So the number may actually be a little bit higher than that when you look at things that are not mass market loggers. Um, so the the thing that I noticed was just the giant amount of breweries. There's 6,300 breweries. Uh, they announced uh, that number what, through the end of 2017. And I looked back a little bit, and at the end of 2012, so five years ago, there was something like 2,500. Yeah, yeah. So it's more than doubled in five years. Um, so I, I, that's that's an interesting thing. I think we've been debating it on social media all day. About yeah, I know. I saw you posted something about, have we reached peak craft brewing? And yeah. That, um, have we? <laughs> well, I think the big thing that people, to not get too nerdy, people really need to understand is there are two bottlenecks if you're putting beer out if you're doing something other than selling it on premise mm. you got to get to a distributor and there's never more than three or four in any city um sometimes there's only one and then you have to find retailers yeah uh and that those both of those are bottlenecks and it kind of gets winnowed uh down so the number so if you have um something like four thousand breweries producing cans and bottles and I don't know how many SKUs that is, but let's say it's like 25,000. Yeah. They each have seven SKUs. That's a lot of clogging in the marketplace. It's really hard to find customers through those two bottlenecks. So I, I actually think, depending on the kind of configuration you're looking at, mm-hmm. what kind of brewery you're at, um, things could get rough for breweries in the next few years. So you think anybody who's starting a brewery now is crazy? I think brew pubs are great. I mean, you sell... You sell on premise. You get you know all the money that you you don't have to share that with retailers or distributors. So you make everything off a pint. Um, you know that's that seems like a rock solid business model. It's not the kind of business model that's going to turn you into a billionaire. No, it's um, you know if somebody buys you though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, depending on what you do, it's a safer model, and you can later down the road start yeah. the bottler can. Um, so I don't know, but we'll see. I think. The market is definitely mature, mm. and um, if you really wanted to have that brewery, if you've been dreaming about it, um, you better get on it quick. I think the it's going to get tight if it hasn't already. Am I your first interviewee? Yeah, you would have been my uh, second, but my I, I the one that I'd already had planned is for tomorrow. So you you know you were the second person I booked, but you're my first person I'm actually interviewing. So it's a great honor to be the first. Oh yeah, person. so we're, we're we're still we're working, working out the bugs, that's right. and you know. <laughs> I figure, you know, it's it's a little more friendly territory since I know you, so it's easy if anything goes south, at least. All right, let's um, let's now talk. I want to talk about uh, sort of the travel aspect of this. Is is Portland? I mean, you've been here how long? Twenty something years now, or we're into the thirty something. Thirty something. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm, I'm an old guy. <laughs> Thirty two, actually. So you've seen a lot of change here. Um, you've watched the beer scene, you know, rise from its infancy and 
become what is what it is now. What are some of the great things that are happening now, and what are the things that you're sad to see happening now here? I don't know that I'm sad to see anything. Mm-hmm. Portland is really, really a nice place to drink beer. Um, we have we no longer are the most breweried city in the world. Um, I know you still see that out there. Mm-hmm. London definitely has more breweries than we do and i haven't checked around but most most bigger cities are are catching up or have passed us uh but we still have i don't know 70 um so we have we have a number of breweries and the nice thing about portland is uh the the consumer base is incredibly sophisticated so you'll find many more breweries that can offer a niche kind of beer. So I just talked about Wayfinder doing lagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, Upright that mainly does like farmhouse ales. Um, we actually have we have Zoil House that mainly do German lagers. We also have Occidental and they do German beers, some some German ales and some German lagers. So this kind of individuation you can see because um, something like um, three quarters of the beer sold on draft in Portland is locally made, uh, which is you know, way, way, way in advance of everybody else. Um, so that means that you just have a lot of customers. You have a broad customer base and you're mm-hmm. only trying to sell a thousand barrels of beer. You can probably do that on draft in Portland. Um, so it means that we have this pretty f- wonderful diversity going on. Portland, the, here's the interesting thing about mm-hmm. Portland. I think this most distinctive is it's a brew pub town. Mm-hmm. Way back in the eighties, uh, the first, uh, four of the first five breweries that opened up in Portland all, all were brew pubs. And it kind of created this expectation that you'd open a brew pub. And even if you have kind of a plan for a packaging brewery, you'll probably have a brew pub component. Um, there are a few nanos around that, that open up as packaging breweries only because they can't afford to have a, a restaurant. Um, and we have seen a little bit, um, two or three examples in recent memory of, of the taproom model. Mm. But in Portland, people expect to be able to visit your brewery. Yeah. And so here in the inner core, we're sitting in the inner core on the east side. Uh, you could walk around um, in a day on foot from where we are right now and visit at least 15 breweries just in walking distance from here. And people like to do that. So there's a lot of, like traipsing all over the city. It's probably actually more than 15. I'd have to look at a map and kind of do my calculations. But um, people, you I know, a lot... Max going by. Yeah, there's the Max. It's picking it up. Actually, that's the streetcar. Oh, that's the streetcar. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a little verisimilitude here in Portland. Um, so I think that's the most interesting kind of thing. When, when I went to Seattle in uh, December, I was really shocked to find that most of the places were the taproom model and so it was really hard to find food mm. and I was there to drink beer and that's really challenging when you're lifting around from place to place and you're just drinking more and more beer and you can't find any food. Did not have any food trucks or anything around there? Some had food trucks but um, we were going all day and the food trucks were there at certain hours. Oh, oh yeah. So it was um, and some of them didn't have food trucks so it was interesting. Um, but Portland's a brew pub town so I'd say that's the most characteristic feature of our little city. Some of the some of the old school ones have have kind of gone. Like um, tugboat's gone now, right? And tugboat is gone. Um, our friend Brian Yeager was really disappointed about that. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think he was the only one. They did not make good beer. <laughs> it was actually one of the first places. The first I, my first time in Portland was 
probably 11 years ago, and that was one of the first places. We had a list of places to go, and it was places like Roots and things like that, sort of the old guard. you know. Yeah, Roots, just, another. You're, yeah, another you're, you're, you're going to the ghosts of uh, yeah. Portland Brewing Past. Uh, most, I mean, most have, we haven't had a ton of, a ton of failures. Um, some of the, yeah, I guess some of the, the very early ones uh, haven't succeeded. But, you know, the founding breweries, Widmer, Portland Brewing, uh, the McMinimans, which mm. is this giant chain yeah, yeah. here in town, uh, they're all around. So we, I think most of those guys are around. And then, you know, in that same era, outside of Portland, you had Full Sail, they're still around. Oh, Shoes, yeah. they're still around. Rogue, they're still around. So most of the, the old guard is, we still have them. That's good to know. Yeah. And, um, you know, then not super far from here, definitely walking distance, is uh, Hair of the Dog, which is, oh, yeah. they've been around for 24 years. Oh, has it been that long, huh? Yeah. Wow. 94. In the past 10 or so years, Portland's become more of a multi-craft beverage town. I mean, I mean, beer still dominates, obviously, but the spirits scene is pretty strong here. Cider, obviously, and, and to some extent, sake, even though you don't really beyond sake one you don't have any actual brewers it's more places to drink and things like that so you know what are your what are your thoughts on that do you think there's room for and we should throw wine in there our oh, wine wh- friends will, uh, <laughs> would like to well i just thought i mean oregon's always been a wine state so i guess it kind of yeah, it's true but maybe maybe urban wine making is new i don't know <laughs> there are some urban winemakers which is weird to me it's uh i well it's not like they're growing the grapes they're there. definitely <laughs> not growing the grapes it's always like how is that what was why is there a winery there where are the grapes but yeah they bought the grapes well, say it's any brewery where are the hops it's like nobody's growing hops and and barley but beer's constructed beverage you know <laughs> it's like cooking whereas wine you just you squeeze the grapes you, th- you throw yeast you don't even have to throw yeast you just have wine so it's really a, an agricultural product I hope, like, I hope i get a lot of angry emails from wineries after that <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh wine is wine is definitely a big deal in fact until i don't know 10 years ago we were oregon was much more known for wine than beer uh, you know nationally yeah yeah um I think locally it was beer probably displaced it, you know, 25 years ago. We it, local people were drinking more beer, but um, people came to Oregon to see the the uh, Yamhill County wineries and check out wine country. But anyway, yeah, wine. We also have wine. Yeah, no, so, I've, I've done some. I've done some winery tours, not in Portland proper, but you know. Yeah, it's twenty not, or so miles from just like just right, like sake so one's not in Portland; it's in Forest Grove, but in wine country. In wine country, yeah, <laughs> which confuses things because people already think sake is a wine. I know, believe me. I just I just <laughs> completed a manuscript on a sake book, and oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, with the same publisher I did my first and third book. So oh, that's super cool. I love sake. Yeah, uh, too. I, it's my it's it's like my one real passion. I mean, beer used to be my beer was my first love, but then. I started getting other beverages like spirits and then, you know, sake. And it's another thing I keep correcting people. I don't like to be an asshole about it because, like, everyone always refers to sake as a spirit. And I'm like, it's not a spirit. (laughs) It's not a spirit. It's not a wine. It's a beer. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, it's like I know it doesn't look, taste, or feel like a beer, but it's a lot closer to beer than it is to wine. So fermented grain, that's totally a beer. It is, it is totally a beer, you know. Yeah. And um, But it's super cool because of that whole koji instead of the mash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, They call it um, multiple parallel fermentation, where whereas beer is single line multiple fermentation because, you know, you gotta you got to malt it, and that's considered the first part of it but um but see that that's what makes 
sake unique is that sake and shochu are the only ones that the only beverages really that do multiple parallel fermentation and they both use koji now i'm getting too geeky here so i'm not gonna like talk about this <laughs> well let's talk about enzymes yeah let's talk about enzymes uh, let's, <laughs> people uh, love analyze. that I want to talk, yeah it's right about now you can turn the no. um so yeah so anyway we're, we're talking about uh you know multi-beverages it's it's the town's big enough for all of them, right? Yeah, and uh, you know the other thing that's that's really true about Portland and Oregon is we're incredibly parochial, and uh, this has some downsides. But the upside is it means that people always uh, will buy things that are made locally first if they can get them, hmm. which is a great opportunity for little burgeoning industries. Coffee is another one of the beverages that we've had. So all of these, all the things we've talked about, we've seen little like green shoots crop up with the first um, the first breweries, the first winemakers, the first coffee makers, um, the first distillers that started coming maybe a decade ago. You might know about that better than I do. Mm. And then local people get excited about that stuff. Um, it creates this whole kind of culture around them. The, our our micro-distilling thing is really, I think, fed this craft side of the cocktail and, and drinks industry. Uh, and it's because... Oregonians love local, so if you yeah. can, if you can be drinking local vodka instead of Grey Goose, that's super cool. And bigger, more metropolitan cities like uh, Seattle is a good example, but also New York. Um, they love the idea that the world will come to them, and they can sample the finest things from around the world. They're very worldly, yeah. sophisticated, urbane. Uh, Portland is not like that. We, <laughs> <laughs> we are DIY, you know, living on our own little private Idaho here private portland so um yeah it but what that means is we foster these amazing little micro industries yeah of all these different things so we always kind of are on the leading edge of that stuff we so we also have cannabis here yes we have legalized cannabis and craft pot yeah and it's it's fascinating because craft cannabis is a word that they've tossed around <laughs> and there's there's this whole idea about craft cannabis and they're actually looking at the brewing industry too which is really weird because um you know again it's it's an agricultural product, and 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 so for the most part, we're you're looking at the uh, the plant itself. Mm-hmm. So there are edibles, there are extracts, and and other things, but um, uh, they're really looking at that beer to try to figure out what how to how to market themselves. They're worried about uh, large concerns coming in here, especially if we get bigger legalization. Oh yeah. So protecting themselves from that, and I guess in a way they're kind of sophisticated because just because we've seen so many of these industries come by and they kind of see the same pattern, like, um, you know, in beer, coffee, wine, all these things have had uh, early success, ground root success, uh, grassroots success, and then big players come in and buy people out or push them around. And mm. Like, once the ground is, is fertile, then big players can come in. I think cannabis is worried about that, too. Everybody's worried about that when you're a little artisanal producer. But d- with cannabis, though, isn't it sort of a different dynamic in that I mean how much more are they going to expand their consumer base I mean sure there are, I mean I mean my my thought is is like if if you're already smoking weed now you're just going to do it legally are they going to create any new weed smokers just because it's legal this is not my area of expertise <laughs> I do think that uh, there are a big group of people and especially people uh in my age cohort, who maybe I'm not that far behind you. And you're, I, I didn't want to include you there because I think <laughs> I am older than you. I didn't want to 
I didn't want to stain you with my age. <laughs> um, but yeah, people who are um, you know forty to sixty-five in that age range who maybe um, quit smoking, got away from cannabis while they uh, you know got serious about their job, raised families, mm-hmm. and did that stuff. Uh, who now that it's legal are kind of dabbling again. So I think that is an un, kind of an untapped market, and those people were not going to go. You know, try to figure out how to how to track it down when it was just when you had to go to the you know. Yeah, I guess I guess the logistics of it. It was just like you just didn't have the energy. Like everyone had their dealer, and that that's I I to this day I I would have no clue where to buy it. You know, I mean illegally. Yeah. Um, and now you can walk out your door. Yeah. So it's everywhere. So, so I you know that's and nor did I. Nor was it something I ever really cared about. It's like I'm not against it. I've I've smoked weed probably ten times in my entire life. <laughs> But and when it became illegal, it didn't. When it became legal in certain places, it didn't really. I didn't see it as an incentive to like. Oh, now I can smoke more. It's like no. It's just. It was just something I never really integrated into my lifestyle. Whereas drinking had always been part of my lifestyle. I just started drinking better quality stuff as I discovered it. You know. This is a fascinating thing. Right now, everybody's looking at the millennials and trying to figure out in states where cannabis has been legalized, how's it going to affect. Uh, beer, spirits, and wine. Like our, for exactly what you just described, we didn't develop a social habit of, of consumption of cannabis. So, but alcohol is always there. There's bars everywhere. So now we have this habit, and I'm the same way as you are. I'm not a big cannabis user, um, and I like to go to pubs, and so that's part of my culture, part of my lifestyle. Um, but young people who are being raised with legalized cannabis. Oh, yeah, I guess. It, who knows what they're going to do? And I think I've been talking to some beer people who are really worried about what this new generation is going to do. They seem really capricious to these breweries who are, you know, beer is a mass product. And so, I, you know, there's some brewers out there that have to sell millions of pints of this stuff. And mm. they're a little freaked out by it. <laughs> you can see the headlines. Millennials are changing the way people sell pot. Yeah, totally. Uh. They're yeah, smoking their own way. Mm, <laughs> they're gonna screw the millennials. They're gonna change. They're gonna change the world, and nobody <laughs> knows how. They're a giant co- cohort too. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, they're they're the new boomers. I mean, that's yeah. why as, yeah, so as, as the boomers die off, somebody's got to take their place. <laughs> you're Gen X, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have our our generation's like about. 800 people or something. We had no impact yeah. on society. We were completely overlooked. Oh, I know. I know. And actually, it's funny because um, I saw somebody posted, um, you know, from the from the the March for Our Lives march last week, somebody posted a picture of a poster, and it was a report card of different generations and how they are on getting shit done and whatnot. And, you know, Gen Z, they got an A, and... Uh, went down to boomers and all these other things and it had like organizations congress and and nra and whatnot noticeably absent from that list was any mention of gen x and i was like what the hell it's like we're forgotten again (laughs) we totally are yeah our 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 cohort is even incredibly short it's like 1965 to 1980 or something we even it's even shorter it's like well they're so so unimportant let's just move on we were we were like the the palate cleanser yeah generations yeah Yeah, you know and you know we had the best music though we did have the i agree with you we had the best music i I mean the baby boomer the early baby well, did, Yeah, yeah, no, they did, but you know, it's like. They were okay, but. No. Uh, I'm with you. All right, enough. Get off my lawn. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Um, so, 
you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, some. Let's talk about food a little bit. Um, where do you like to eat when you're drinking? I mean, provided that it's not a brew pub, um, or even when you're not drinking, what are some of your favorite spots in town that? the locals want to go to not necessarily the tourists yeah portland is uh and again this kind of goes back to that whole dna i was talking about of our parochial uh approach uh portland has become kind of famous for its culinary scene and it's a really grassroots scene which starts with our huge complement of food trucks and these food trucks if they can build a following get some money get an investor open up a restaurant that kind of like it's just sort of like beer that way you start a nano and then you move up we get a lot of nice action from chefs who move here because for a west coast city it's still the cheapest west coast city although that's changing Mm. um so you can afford to open a restaurant here in a way that is more expensive in seattle or san francisco um but you have again people who are willing to uh you know eat interesting and unusual things here it's a we have All these industries have been supported by a sophisticated consumer base. Um, so, you know, there are, I got to say that the, the thing that we're, the, the worst place to eat, like if you want good food, uh, don't go to a brew pub. Hmm. The thing that we're, I don't know why, but brew pubs are, they have this like standard brew pub fare. Yeah. Burgers, pizza, that kind of stuff. And even ones that have tried to come out and have a little bit more interesting food. Uh, menu, it doesn't work. I think people, when they go to brew pubs, they want you know a pizza or or a burger, and if they want something better, they go there, and then they go get a pint of beer afterwards, or go get a pint, go to a restaurant, and you know go get more pints, something like that. Well, the beer is what's really got to be good at those places. I think the food is secondary. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a weird. That's a weird little quirk, and it really frustrates me because I would love to just go to a brew pub and have them have the same kind of quality food that you get elsewhere. I mean, we're on the Pacific Rim, so we have a lot of uh, Asian influence. We have a lot of Mexican, Latino influence, so we have great restaurants. Um, Thai Thai has been a big thing in Portland for the whole time I've been here. Um, It's gotten more sophisticated. We have Pak Pak, which is kind of the the most famous flagship Thai restaurant. Um, but we have great, we have great Mexican food too. And a lot of the best Mexican food, or I shouldn't say the best Mexican food, but a lot of the Mexican food that's really good is, um, like the, the burrito shop on the corner, you know, you'll, you'll, people have their own, their own favorites and they're relatively, well, they're really, they're dirt cheap. <laughs> um, but they're, they're really, um, authentic and cool. Um, I'm sure it's not like LA, but, uh, you know, if you come from the East Coast, our Mexican food is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, our Mexican food is shit. <laughs> yeah. When we when I travel to the East Coast, my wife is from the East Coast. Um, if we're there long enough, I start thinking, I start looking for uh, Asian food or, or Mexican food and wishing that we could get some of that. You can find decent Asian food in certain places on the East Coast, definitely. Um, I mean, New York's got great Japanese food. Um, you just have to know where to look. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have like, um, you know, three, three drinking places here. You would recommend sort of desert Island drinking places, the three eating places you would recommend specifically, or do you not want to play favorites? Cause everybody knows you here. <laughs> I can play favorites. I mean, I think if you come to Portland, if you're a beer fan and you come to Portland, um, come on the weekend, make sure you come on the weekend and go to a little place called upright. Uh, you're not mm-hmm. going to find this beer anywhere outside of Portland or outside of Oregon. Um, 
it is a place where they Alex Ganum is the owner there, and he makes uh, European style stuff. He started out more in the Belgian uh, vein, but he also one of his um, regular beers is a, a perfectly authentic German Pilsner. But his his real talent is barrel aging. Mm. He's been they've been open open. I think I think they opened in two thousand eight, so it's probably the tenth year. Are they still underground? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're in this weird place that's hard to get to. They have a little tap room, but they're only open I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, for limited hours. So look at look them up on the website. Um, but he does this barrel aging, and he has become just this giant uh, superstar of barrel aging. He he um, uses wild yeast. Uses a lot of local fruit. And uh, he he does a lot of blending, and he'll just put these uh, flavors together in a way that are more sophisticated, more um, complex, and uh, with more kind of balanced acidity, acidity and restraint than you'll find anyplace else. Um, I just think he's doing some of the best work in in, in the world, really. Um, and he because it's so hard to find his place, and because he doesn't have very many hours. Um, people often don't go there so seek it out it's a fun little place if you do find yourself there it's got a got a speakeasy vibe you're in the brewery the tap the tap room is the brewery um and you'll you'll you know you'll knock your socks off um you, you know if you if you google around and you look at what the best breweries are in portland uh people will mention breakside and i think that um that's probably our that's it's the the kind of most popular brewery right now the the beer it's both the beer geek and kind of the man on the streets favorite brewery which is interesting um they have three locations and i would recommend going to their original nano brewery out on deacom which is in a distant northern suburb uh which was in the historically black red line district um it was one of the first breweries it was one of the first businesses in this neighborhood called woodlawn Mm. um and really helped to revive this area when you go there you'll see it seems like a very really vibrant little area Imagine that all the buildings there were completely empty and nothing was happening when when uh, Breakside opened. Uh, so they, they really helped revitalize that. And that location is still totally a neighborhood place. Like mostly you'll see families and people who just walk over. It's super cool. And they have slightly more diversity. They have a brand new sparkling place closer to downtown, which does mostly IPAs, which is what they become famous for. Mm. Um, but many of their brewers are really into traditional styles. And so when you go out to the Deacon place, you will find um, that they, they do a, a Kolsch regularly. So you often will find a Kolsch out there. Yeah. Um, but you'll do, you'll find lagers and um, often traditional English styles, um, bitters and ESBs and stuff like that. Um, and it's just a, it's just a really nice place. If you go, if you go out to that the original Deacom location. I think that's one of the cool places to go to. Um, third place. I I always recommend people go to breweries. We have a lot of great um, pubs in the city, and um, you get a better better selection that way. Mm. But we're a brewery city. You should go to breweries. Okay. So that's what I that's what I always encourage people. Um, the third one is is hard. Uh, we have um, an outpost of Deschutes in town, and I often send people there just because they have probably the broadest selection of mm. beer um which is nice they have 20 taps and if you'd like if there's any beer style that you can drink like if you don't like beer but except for like one or two styles and so you're reluctant to go to breweries Deschutes is the kind of place to go to because they probably have the beer you like there they don't have it's not overwhelmingly ipa um but 
they're also the biggest brewery kind of it, that we have in Oregon and so kind of famous. So what's another cool one that I should They're now in, in Virginia, or they will be in Virginia too. So. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see about that. Wait, what's happening? Well, I just think with uh, all the sales kind oh. of slamming on the brakes, uh, they have to. I think they have to look at the. It's like a fifty million dollar project or something, oh, ninety yeah. million dollar project. So I think they're they're probably looking at their budget and thinking, I wonder how much beer we can actually sell on the East Coast. Anyway, that's that's just my speculation. I have no idea. No, 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 no. no. They haven't broken ground yet, so I'm just saying. Nobody, nobody wants to be green flash. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Once you go in, once you go into that debt, you're kind of in trouble. Man, the third brewery. I don't know. Um, you know what? It could be a bar if you. Here's here's a wild card that I don't usually recommend. You can find this stuff. I actually had a ten I, on my blog. I did the ten best breweries in Oregon, so you can look at that if uh-huh. you want to on Beervana. But I'm going to throw a wild card and give a call out to uh, Groundbreaker, which is our gluten free brewery. Oh, okay. And they have it's a brew pub, of course. So they have the pub, which um, is great for gluten free people because it's it's. The entire facility is gluten-free. No gluten ever gets anywhere near that building. So you can have pizza and sandwiches there and uh, and cookies, chocolate chip cookies that are gluten-free, which is cool. And then the beer, which is amazing because um, it looks, feels in the mouth, and tastes exactly like full gluten beer. Their IPA is one of the better IPAs in the city, full mm. stop. Not, not good for a gluten-free beer. It's just a damn fine beer wow and he makes this stuff out of sorghum and lentils and tapioca and all these weird ingredients and he's figured out how to do this um this beer that's it's it's really impressive um so i'll give him some love that's a that's that i i would say that we probably that's probably the best gluten-free brewery in the world so it's good. I'm, hope, I'm hoping some gluten-free people are still listening. Because once you found out this was going to be a beer, you probably turned off. <laughs> Go there. You'll enjoy it. It's a cool pub. It's a great place. I, I would I would be happy to take anybody there. Um, and I feel like they've always been ghettoized. You know, people. They just they're off their beer radar when people see the, those two words gluten free. It's like, well, why oh, yeah. would I go there? Because it's going to be like, okay, in this degenerate category. Mm. Actually, it's a really good brewery, so well, I'll, I'll give them some love. That's good to know. No food, three foods. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not the best guy to ask about food. But you eat. I do eat. Um, just just places that you would or even order takeout from that you're local that that it, that's either worth the hype. Something from out of someone from out of town's heard about that that's worth the hype or something that nobody even knows about. I mean, you mentioned Pock Pock. Do locals still go to Pock Pock? Or is it mostly yeah. tourists? Okay. No, no. Pock Pock. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Because I, I like Pock Pock. I just wanted to make sure that it's still cool to go there. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. We um, we took um, my brother-in-law and niece to Pock Pock. They were in town recently, and um, we took them to Pock Pock. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's um, it's kind of non-traditional Thai sort of street food and mm-hmm. um, different flavors, interesting flavors. Um, I saw a recipe for their their wings online, and I'm going to try to make them. I doubt that I'm going to do it well. But. Right, they're famous for their wings. Um, yeah, so they're cool. Uh, you got maybe even a truck if you want to recommend a truck there or a truck park that you get. There's a cool place. So an interesting thing that happened mm. it, after Katrina, a bunch of people from Louisiana came here and opened up restaurants. Oh, yeah, it was weird. And I thought they were all going to leave, but they didn't. Um, and one of them is the Screen Door, which is this Southern food place. They have mm. a wonderful. They, I think they have four taps. They may have increased that to six. Always incredibly well selected. Um, so I'm always excited for the beer they have, even though I have such a limited tap menu. Um, and it is just 
amazing southern food if you like southern food and yeah like portlanders have really gotten excited about southern food wow that's great yeah so that that's kind of a cool place uh what else one more one, one more on. one more what can i what, what you know i i don't know should i how about it how about i go super super old school yeah give yeah. me an old school portland place higgins restaurant I don't think I've heard of that. Higgins is um, kind of responsible for introducing North, the introducing Portland to um, what we consider kind of like modern West Coast cuisine: mm-hmm. slow food, local food, rotating menu. Uh, he started out at a hotel here called the Heathman, um, but but the, one of the reasons I mention him is and mention this place is because he was also the first place in in town like a decade before anybody else to really take beer seriously mm. and he has a, a beer menu that's as long as his wine menu and it would this was a when he opened it was um one of the nicest restaurants in town the most expensive you know it was like really pitched at sophisticated dining and so for him and so this we're talking about maybe even the late 1990s um to have a large menu that included a lot of belgian beers um and then later started to include more local beers. Uh, it was really cool, and it's still, I think, um, one of the one of the nicer places to visit. You can find great wine if you like if you like local pinots and stuff. You can find that, and they go very well with uh, our local bounty. We have this is the Willamette Valley is one of the most fertile valleys um, in the country, and so we have a ton of local produce and lo- you know that that all that joke about. Um, you got to know the name of the pig that was yeah. slaughtered for you. Like we, that's not entirely fictitious. There's some kind of connection to that. It will say which farm it came from and stuff. So, um, R.I.P. That's, that's Portland. Yeah. 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 Did you see the final episode? I didn't. Oh, I have just aired Thursday. And it was bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Portland is the kind of place that even though they're making fun of us, we still liked it a lot. Like, oh yeah. We recognize ourselves there. So, yeah, we can take a joke. Yeah, it's it's all in love. And I guess the one thing to leave on, any favorite beer travel destinations, either bucket list things or places you've been outside of Portland? Uh, Could just be one, you know, to list three. The favorite beer place outside of Portland? Yeah, that you've either been or that is on your bucket list. Uh, is this in, anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world. I'm going to go with... Uh, um, I, people ask, so I have done a, a lot of travel for beer. Yes. And there's still places I need to go. I haven't been to Japan to see the sake breweries. I haven't been to Scandinavia to see the farmhouse breweries. But among the big places that I've been to, everybody always imagines that I'm going to send them to Belgium because they yeah. have like the most famous breweries. But you, people should go to Prague. Um, <sighs> Prague, Prague has, uh, in addition to being Prague, which yeah. is pretty amazing, has uh, a wealth of beer that uh, Americans really don't know about. People haven't even really, like Michael Jackson didn't write about Chernes and Politomaves. They have this kind of full tapestry of lagers that they make um, that we don't really know that much about. And even the, the Pilsner type beers, the Svetle Lejaks, um, we only get like two of them. And they have, you know, dozens of different uh, different Pilsner type beers, pale lagers in mm. the Czech Republic. And you can find those there. And they're very distinctive. They're totally different if you're from, mostly we're familiar with german lagers like the the lagers we get here usually come from the german tradition these things are thicker fuller bodied um, they tend to have really flavorful aromatic malts and um, they're hopped a little bit more aggressively hmm. so you have a, uh, a uh, 
a balance point where the German balance point is all geared towards subtlety, subtle malt, subtle hops, delicacy, all that stuff. In the Czech Republic, it's a little bit more robust. Bigger flavors, bigger mouthfeel, um, just a lot more kind of interest there. So people should go to the Czech Republic and... Um, you can go. You can travel around. The main, the, the famous breweries are not actually from Prague, but you can find it all in Prague. And now Prague also has a number of its own cool little breweries um, that that do great work. And if you ever go there, look for uh, Unititia Ten. They, that's a that's a pale lager, mm. and it's my fail, favorite pale, pale lager, and it's just in the outskirts of Prague, so you can find it there. I gotta so. get back. I, I was in Prague in two thousand five, but I didn't get like a really full picture of the, the beer. I mean, I had like their Pilsners and stuff. That was about it. It has changed radically since then too. That's and Prague, awesome. I, my, my understanding is that until, I don't know, five years ago, Prague was a real wasteland and now it's really changed and, and everybody's really into it. And apparently Prague is this amazing culinary destination too. So I don't know anything about that, but that's what I've been told. Awesome. So yeah, go to Prague. Great. Now, before we go, uh, where can people find you online on social media and wherever? Uh, you can, the easiest way is, uh, uh, and every, everything is Birvana podcast is Birvana podcast. And my handle on Twitter is at Birvana. So just look for Birvana. That's me. All right. Great. And anything you want to plug? Uh, come to Portland. Everybody should, Oh, you know what? I, here's the thing, hmm. man. I almost missed the opportunity. If people come to Portland, uh, come in early October, late September, early October, and drink and spend uh, a few days going from brewery to brewery, pub to pub, and drinking our fresh hop beers. These are things people don't know about because nobody else has them. Brewers go drive an hour away to the hop fields, get fresh hops as they're coming off the the vines, bring them back, throw them in their beers, and they produce these kind of flavors that you can't get from dried hops. And the quality, the really particular quality that these hops give is insanely evanescent and it will last maybe a week. So when you have these beers on tap, um, you have to drink them when they're perfect. And I've gone to pubs, I find a perfect one and I've gone to pubs a few days in a row and literally after a week, they start to lose that quality. So they can't really be bottled very well. Um, it's very hard to make these beers. So brewers here have been talking to each other now for 15 years and figuring out how to do it. So we do it really well. Um, and, uh, not, which is not to say that other, you won't find these elsewhere, but because of this quality of their incredibly brief period of time, it's nice to just have so many. And during fresh hop season, most breweries make them and most breweries make several. So you'll have dozens of them around the city. And it is, it's like the, I've never done the, uh, Beaujolais Nouveau thing, mm. but it, it's like that. When wow. this happens, it's this f- amazing thing, and I wish everybody could come and, and experience it because I think it would blow their minds. So do that. Book your hotels now. That's right. That's right. It's actually early enough that you, yeah, can, you can get a good hotel. A get a decent price. Get your hotel now. But anyway, that about wraps it up. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate you being here and uh, you know, well, thank talking you for about having me. this wonderful city you live in. And, oh, great. I'm, I'm so glad you were able to do this. Um, and you can find me in the usual places at Jeff Sillity on Twitter uh, and Drinkable Globe on Instagram. And, uh, you know, remember, the world is out there. Drink it up. The drink of all.